welcome again to this next podcast. We're going through some great questions a number of our young couples asked. And I'm glad to be joined again by Michael and Will, Morris and Steve. I've got two questions for you today and they both relate to each other and follow on from one another. Here's the first one. The more secular society becomes and countercultural the gospel is, it seems as Bible believers were increasingly placed in the margins. What do you see as the big challenges for us? And at the same time, are there any encouragements? Michael, would you give us your thoughts on that, please? Being on the margins means we are increasingly ignored, deemed to be irrelevant, and people think that we should keep quiet about what we believe or change our controversial views. So I think one of the big challenges is to keep reminding ourselves that we are not irrelevant. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus shed his blood to redeem us. We need to daily warm our hearts with the gospel. By faith, we need to be reminded that Jesus is the only hope that people who don't have his words, that don't know the gospel, are like sheep without a shepherd who are helpless and harassed. So the big challenge for us is not to stay silent, even though society wants us to be. I think another challenge is remaining distinct from the mainstream version of Christianity. So that's a version of Christianity may take a variety of forms, but not taking Jesus' words seriously or a version where Jesus isn't really needed because I'm not too bad and I can be good enough myself or a version of Christianity where I cherry pick the bits that I like or a version that's more about having strong faith, but not really faith in Jesus, just just faith in anything. How do we make sure that we don't just get lumped in with all those types of ideas and as churches were not put alongside other churches that are not preaching the true gospel? And indeed, how do we make sure that we don't just get put in with all of the religions in our pluralistic society. I think that part of the answer to that is those genuine loving relationships and seeking to just speak the words of the gospel to people. I think we can be encouraged by the fact that Jesus has promised that he will build his church and his purposes are unstoppable. So when God is at work in a person's life, no matter how foolish or weak our words might seem, no matter how countercultural or non-PC our ideas are, what the Bible teaches are, God's sheep will hear his voice. And we can be confident that God will continue to save people so that he receives glory. Thank you, Michael. Morris, would you give us your comments, please? Okay. I actually think the challenge is to our godliness. So I don't think the church actually struggles when it's on the margins. I think the church does best when it's at the margins. Um, the church thrives as a revolutionary counterculture. The challenge is that we want to be respectable. I want my neighbours to think I'm a normal, respectable guy. I don't want them to think I'm like strange religious weirdos they see on TV. 
Um, I want to be accepted. That is a challenge. There is no way in our culture more and more to believe what the Bible says about most things and be regarded as normal. And there's no way to do what the Bible says Christian families should do and be like other families. And your kids are going to struggle with that. Um, one of the things an older Christian couple said to us as our kids were growing up and it's helped us is basically when your kids are going to say, if you bring them up as Christians in our culture, we are different from that family. And we say a lot to our kids, you're right, we're not like that family. Uh, bite the bullet, we're going to stand out, we're going to be strangers and aliens, as the Bible says. Uh, you cannot believe what the Bible believes and be respectable and respected in a, this very secular culture. But that is our problem. It's not a church problem. Because the church does best when it's in that disrespected, um, on the margins position. And I think that's because other people on the margins find you there. So, for example, we don't see loads of middle class white people becoming uh, Christians in the UK today. There are loads and loads of people who are refugees and asylum seekers becoming Christians in the UK today. Why? I think it's because the church is on the margins as well sure some other reasons um so i think the church thrives on the margins we though the challenge is that we don't want to give up being respectable and we're going to have to and we need to teach our kids that they're not going to be respected and respectable but there on the margins we will do some really amazing things for god that's what i believe i think um you're in a free church and not an anglican church not a church that's attached to the state and i think that's means we're already on the margins. Several schools in Liverpool will count church attendance at a church like ours to get in the same level they count Islam. You know, that's where they see it as sort of alien religion. So we just have to accept that. But what I'd say is the church does its best work on the margins. The church does a terrible job, and I think we see this in the Church of England, when it's trying to be respected and in the corridors of power and all of that stuff. It does a terrible job. But the church has always thrived and it's on the margins. We, the members of the church, are going to have to give up wanting to be respectable and respected. If we're willing to do that, I think God could do great things with us on the margins. Really helpful again, Morris. Thank you. And Steve, how would you speak into that question? I suppose behind the idea that we're, as believers, being placed more on the margins of society is the fact that down through human history there has always been in a nation, in a people group, in some sort of community, there is always a vying for what is the dominant story to explain who we are and how we make sense of life and how we set our goals. And fundamentally, that's what religion is. Religion is simply a set of answers to all the big questions in life. Who am I? Where did I come from? Uh, what is wrong with me? How do I get fixed? What do I pursue? What does salvation, according to my understanding of who I am, look like? What does the future hold? And sometimes uh, a more overtly culture, more religious, will relate those answers to God. But in our secular world, which is no less religious because it has answers in its ideology to who am I? Well, who am I? I am who I define myself as. Uh, I'm less defined by my parents, my background, my religious faith. I'm more de defined by 
the stuff that I gather to me, the way I go about day by day business, it increasingly it, it's it's very self centered. So why is it that our youngsters or even yourself you feel on the margins? It's because we recognise that there are huge religious and ideological claims playing out in our secular culture that are in ascendancy and the ideas of God's word, the Bible, are not taken as seriously as far as con- the secular world is concerned. They are utterly irrelevant. And we need to ask the questions, what are the big challenges out of that? And I think that fundamentally we don't want to have a, a, a negative view of this because Christians have always been on the margins because they've always, except for in Western Christendom, they've always been... Um, viewed as having really strange religious views, really strange way of putting the big story together, really strange uh, actions and behaviours and devotions of their heart as a result of, of this. I think that we can say that the biggest challenge is we really need to know what our story is. Who are we? Where did we come from? What is God like? What does he mean for human thriving how do I find salvation? What does it mean to answer the, the human problem? Where are we headed? What do we set our hope on? And in a thousand subtle ways in culture and film, in our workplace, in business practices, in the way that people think about relationships, those two stories will collide. And unless we really understand the gospel story, uh, who, who we are as people, and the difference that Jesus makes, we will probably just get swallowed up by that tsunami of ideologies that are around us. However, if we if we learn to be those increasingly who know this gospel and can differentiate it from the false hopes, the false ideas, the false assumptions about who we are, about how humans thrive, about what to set our heart on, about where to find salvation, about how it is we relate to ultimate reality that we call uh, the true and living God. As soon as, as, as we grow in our ability to discern that, we will stick out like a sore thumb. We will be, re- we will be misrepresented. People won't understand, just like when Paul went into uh, uh, into Athens and declared something of the Lord Jesus Christ. They responded by saying, you are bringing some very strange ideas to our ears. Some wanted to hear him more on this, but most were quite happy when he was just removed because the thing about all non-Christian religions and ideologies is that they don't like the idea of not having supremacy. We see that in the media at the moment. We see the way that Christians are often ridiculed and assumed as either stupid or wicked or both. We should expect that, but the great opportunity and encouragement here is as we become people who are more and more defined, not by a sort of... Um, sort of connection between secular and Christian, but be, when we become and are forced to be more bold about the fact we live by a different story, that will shine. It will threaten some people. It will enrage some people, but it will it it will beckon to some people. We need to remember that false religion is just a crude twisting, a demonic twisting of all that is 
true. So people still have within themselves a sense. Uh, and under the spirit of God, they can be drawn towards that sense of who they're supposed to be, how it's supposed to be. So our job will be to find touch points and connect with people, exposing false religion and offering a hope that sustains beyond the shallow answers that come from shallow ideologies and, and, and shallow religions. I'm quite excited about this, although I'm very scared because I don't like being misrepresented. I don't like being on the outside. I don't like being viewed as evil, either evil or stupid. And I don't want those things for my children. Which brings me to the point we're really going to have to teach our youngsters well how our story is different to the assumptions of the TV programs that they watch, the music they listen to, the films that they see, the talk that they have on social media. Our youngsters really need to be taught basics about who we are. What does it mean to be human? What has gone wrong with us? What does, how does sin impact us, our desires, our aspirations? And the things that we give ourselves to. What should we really live for? Is it the now or is it the future? How do we, uh, how do we live in a world that seeks to tell us to do the opposite of everything the Bible does? And I think those are both challenges and real encouragements as we as Christians try to face this increasingly secular culture. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, all of you, for answering that question. I've got another one for you. It follows on from that. The Puritans back in the day were known as the haters of mankind. In other words, viewed, seen, perceived as the killjoys and spoil sports, always negative and ruining everyone's life and freedom. What do you think about that in today's context? And what's a biblical perspective on pushback and persecution? Michael, would you like to go first? I suppose if that's how people perceive me, but I'm growing in holiness, being conformed more into the image of Christ, if, I'm, if I know the joy of Jesus, I'm experiencing his abundant life and peace, then I'm okay with people perceiving me as a killjoy and a spoil sport, etc., etc., because I'm more concerned with what God thinks than what people think. But on the other hand, if I am being those things unnecessarily and I'm becoming a legalist or adding to what the Bible teaches, then obviously there is a problem. But if it's the first and people perceive me like that, well, you know what? The Bible teaches very clearly that we are aliens and strangers. When that was written, I, I don't think this type of alien was being referred to, but imagine a little green man in a spaceship lands in Halewood, hops out of his spaceship, he's got three eyes, six legs, seven noses, and he starts walking around Halewood, people are probably going to stop and stare at this strange little green man. We are aliens and strangers, okay, not same type of alien, but we're different. We're from a different kingdom. We're not trying to fit into the pattern and model and mould of this world. Now, of course, we don't want to be different where we don't need to be different. But where we should be different, we need to just stop trying to blend in and be the same. And then, because of that, we should expect pushback and persecution because that is the normal expectation and experience of New Testament believers. It is really fascinating. When you read through Acts, 
you get to a part, it's in chapter 14, where Paul is visiting some of the churches that he's planted. He goes around all these different churches to strengthen them. And Luke's summary of Paul's message is this. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. (laughs) That's the thing that he preaches and teaches the churches that have just been established. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When Jesus was briefing his disciples, he's quite open in telling them that they will be dragged into court. They will suffer. And it's interesting because he says, on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. So through the persecution, being dragged into court, it's, it's through that that the gospel is proclaimed. In 2 Timothy, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel and he's encouraging Timothy not to be ashamed of the gospel. And the reason why Paul is not ashamed, even though he's in chains, even though he's, he's going to be executed for uh, being a follower of Jesus before too long, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed? Why is he not ashamed to testify about the Lord Jesus? Well, he's not ashamed. He tells us why, because he knows something. But I am not ashamed. Why, Paul? For I know whom I have believed. He knows Jesus. And because he knows Jesus, he knows he has eternal life. If he's willing to die with Jesus, he knows He will live with him if he endures. He knows he will reign. And so because of that, he's willing to endure persecution like a good soldier. And we should expect exactly the same. Great, Michael. And Will? I think this is a really interesting question, actually, because... You, know, you mentioned freedom there about, you know, and whether we're, you know, we're always on everyone, you know, the, as Christians, we would be on everyone's case because nobody's doing it right. And, and uh, we're trying to just stop everyone having fun. Is it really harming anyone? We just like to be free and be able to do whatever we want to do, whatever pleases us. Why should we want to please a deity or somebody else? And um, I guess that's, uh, that, that is a, a, it's a good question, to be honest with you. Why should we want to do that? Um, and the question I would ask people, and often when I've been, if I've been in conversations with people who, who talk about Christianity being just rules and regulations or oppressive in some way, um, I, I think really the pushback is kind of to to ask the question, well, whatever the particular issue we're talking about is, well, why, you know, I'm interested that you believe and think that way. Why would you believe that? And and a question I would ask for people today, I suppose, really is. Uh, are we really free? Do we really believe we are free? I mean, we we all, you know, uh, I think there's never really been a time when, uh, in my living memory, where we've all been expected to think the same way and, and speak the same way and not say things and do things the same way. So they're valid questions. We can say, well, why would you believe that? Why do you believe that that's true? I think there's lots of evidence in society at the moment where, you know, with, with different elections and things where it sort of surfaces, where you see that people don't all think the same way. People don't all think that way. People do want their freedom, but feeling that that freedom is being um, eroded away by where they're being told what to think, told what to say, in in much more underhand sort of ways than maybe the gospel would do, or the Bible, or Christians, Bible bashers would do, for example. And um, so I would say, I would argue that we're not really very free at all in this world. We're not free to, and that freedom, as as it brought us happiness, as it brought us joy, are we settled? Is the world a better place because we've relegated 
um, what the Bible says to think about things and God's ways to the side. Is it really any better than it was before? In fact, has it got worse? And uh, are we more divided now than we've we've ever been? And 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 I guess it's not. You wouldn't say that. You know, people would say, well, religion has divided us and things. You know, but in terms of what people understand about the gospel, do they really understand what gospel truth is? What it really is that we are talking about here. So the pushback would be about correcting some of those wrong attitudes. I'm I'm always when I was thinking about this, and it's just really come to me as I was thinking about it before I answered this, was uh, Jesus' parable of of uh, in Luke 14 as a great banquet. And uh, you know those people. You, you, the, the the banquet is set and ready, and it's going to be a a joyous occasion, a wonderful occasion. It's going to be a brilliant occasion, a wonderfully happy, a glorious time. Uh, food are plenty for everybody, and and so, the master of the banquet goes and asks people to come. The ones he's invited, and they refuse because actually they're not free to come. They're tied up with all the stuff that they've bought and they've possessed and they want. And uh, they've lumbered themselves with all these things that the world says they should have to make themselves happy. And they can't come and enjoy the banquet. I've never really thought of it that way before, but that's what it is. And so they're tied down. And um, and so the the master goes and says, go get the poor, cripple, the lame and the blind, the hedgeways, the highways and byways and bring people in until it's full. Because all I want is my banquets of the, with the finest of fare, with the cup running over um, to be full and full of people. And that's the, the 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 difference, isn't it? The joy of the gospel in in that sense. So I'm not sure whether that addresses the whole freedom question, but it certainly addresses the idea of us being killjoys. Our master wants us to have a banquet, uh, which is set a table, it's set a party that is there for us. And um, this world is not getting that party, not experiencing that because it's not heaven. It's rejected the good design of God, as we said before and uh, rejected God's ways and therefore is reaping the rewards of that and we're not as free as we think we are in fact we're not free at all uh, that freedom only comes as we know in Christ where we have the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good thank you Will Morris what are your thoughts again we're going to question the question very little that Christians are experiencing in the UK now should actually be counted as persecution now, sometimes it is, and you may be listening to this and have experienced terrible things because you're a Christian. Um, but most things we experience are in the sort of era, in the sort of field of like mild embarrassment um, or social awkwardness or feeling unloved. So we'll come back to that in a minute. Um how can we be not viewed as killjoys and spoil sports and negative and ruin everyone's life and freedom? Uh, just don't be like that. <laughs> so uh, Christian homes and families should be the most fun, full of life, uh, great place for everybody to be. Kids from families in your street and school where the parents are working all the time and have high expectations and want their kids to get on in the world and this stuff, they should come to your house and have the most fun. Um, it will be different type of fun. It might not be screen fun and online gaming. Or it might be, I'm not judging those things, but you may want to limit those in your kids. But you should be fun families doing interesting stuff with your kids and your kids' friends. We shouldn't be killjoys. The other thing I'd say is, while we're perceived as killjoys and spoil sports, and that might be the media presentation, my experience is not that everybody in our country at our time is having a really good time. Um. Most of the people who are my peers are anxious, worried, pretty unhappy, 
I can think of some friends of ours who are both very successful in their field, um, but that means they are very unstressed all the time as a couple, and they're constantly feeling bad for not spending enough time with their kids. And so they may say, oh, well, you know, you don't go out and get drunk and uh, do coke at dinner parties. You're killjoys. I don't think that is their experience of us. I think their experience of us is, okay, a different set of priorities here is giving you some freedom. So if we're willing to, really willing to live out Jesus' priorities, I think we'll be more fun. And I think uh, people who are miserable, anxious, unhappy, cause stress by this world will actually find our community an oasis of peace. And this comes back to what I said in a previous question. When we're allowed constantly engaging people who aren't Christians in your home life um, is really important. In terms of a biblical perspective and pushback and persecution, we should expect our friends to find our belief shocking. Um, but uh, we, I think the Bible opens up a space where people can find your belief shocking. I know you don't hate them. Our culture wants to say about lots of things, if you disagree with me, you hate me. And basically they should find being with you as a Christian really confusing. Because you will disagree clearly and say what you think, but it will be so absolutely abundantly clear that you don't hate them. And that should be disorientating and confusing because our culture says, no, if you disagree with me, you hate me. They shouldn't be able to say that with integrity about you. They may say it anyway. One Peter talks about they you'll do good, but they will accuse you of doing wrong. So they may say that anyway, but it shouldn't be their experience. You know, there's a couple that I know, um, I just need to slightly anonymize this story, who are friends with a Christian guy who left the faith because he wanted to get married to a man. And he got married to this man and they had kids together. The relation, they, they, made it very clear what they thought, but stayed relationally engaged. And the new partner, uh, the man who'd never been a Christian, was confused by them. He was like, how can you not celebrate our marriage with us, but still be this nice? He's confused. That went on for a few years. The uh, gay relationship then broke up. And the people, the, the original partner, as in not the one who had been a Christian, but the one who'd never been a Christian, the people he came to for help when the relationship broke up were the Christian couple. And I think that is where we want to be. You will get pushed back, you will get negative. I can't believe you think that, whatever. But it should be disorientating, confusing to be around you because you disagree, but you definitely don't hate. And that is hard. It will mean engaging and having people in your home, in your life that aren't role models and aren't, you know, uh, you know, you wouldn't, You'd be worried about their influence on your kids, blah, 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 all of that. But we as Christians can make that space, that space where we disagree, but we don't hate. That's helpful, Morris. And Stee? It really does grieve me when people get a sense that Christians are negative killjoys. Not least of all because I've been saved and redeemed by the living God who is the one who... Uh, he created the sunset. He was the one whose idea it was to give us taste bud, buds to enjoy a lovely drink or some beautiful food. He he put the instinct in me to be attracted to my uh, wonderful wife. Uh, he, he made relationship. 
He made all the good things. He made colour. He made the animals. He made all of those things. And interestingly, in the Bible, the uh, picture of heaven, it's most co- most uh, regularly communicated as being a massive big party and a celebration. So the idea that we should be killjoys is really, really worrying. I wonder what we've got wrong. I think we've possibly got something wrong, and I think we've possibly got something right. Uh, I think let's go with the, uh, the the thing that I think we've got right. Ro- uh, Uh, right first I think Christians are very much aware that all good things are given to us from God to be enjoyed but scripture comes with a warning of how easily it is for us to take good gifts from the living God and turn them into things that end up hurting us it's called idolatry what we do is we stop worshipping the creator and we start worshipping his created things. We stop looking to turning our hearts to joy in, in the giver and we get obsessed with the gift. So whether that's possessions or security or relationships or sex or food or anything like that, all of which have been given to us by the Lord. One of the things that Christians do well is we recognise that if we use those in an out of bounds kind of way, because we have sinful and darkened hearts that want to turn everything to our own self-interest, then when we they do get misused, we get hurt. He gets dishonoured. And so I think sometimes in our, our eagerness to sort of only use things within the boundaries of what the Lord has called us to in keeping with his good word, sometimes what we do is we sort of communicate a kind of negativity. Uh, I, I, th- I think that it's us trying to do something good. <laughs> I think that we're trying to say, no, we recognise that, that things are given to us to be enjoyed, but under the good God. We don't want to live for them. We've got to be careful of enjoying good things and then also living for them and the accumulation of things, which is the thing that marks our culture. But I think sometimes we, we, we could do a better job of communicating that. And the thing that I think we do badly as well sometimes is the fact that... <laughs> Well, interestingly, we, we, we do have a pietistic slant in life, don't we? Sometimes as Christians, we like to colour in between the lines and we fail to recognise that we have a creation mandate from the Lord to go and enjoy all his good gifts, yes, without living for them. And I think sometimes what we can do is we can begin to feel bad about having anything good because we're so fearful of enjoying it in a bad and self-centred and sinful way. In fact, it's uh, it was not unusual in the first century that newer Christians would move in a kind of ascetic kind of lifestyle. They would move away from enjoying good things almost out of an act of piety. And it's a it's a little bit like a father cooking a beautiful meal for 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 his child to take to school in a packed lunch, lovingly and wonderfully created. And then at the end of the day, the, 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 the child comes back from school and the father says, well, did you enjoy your meal? Uh, and the child simply says, well, no, no, I threw it away. You did what? Yeah, I threw it away. I wanted to show you how self-controlled I could be. But I wasn't asking you to be self-controlled. I was asking you to enjoy what I've given you. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can be a little bit like that. And I don't think that exemplifies the gospel. I don't think it expresses worship. And I don't think it is a posture of faith. So I think what we have to do as Christians is, is find a way to recognise God's given warnings about in overindulgence in the things of this world and taking his good gifts and using them with whom and ha- how we choose, which we all know is, is a picture of sin and idolatry. And we also have to be careful of not being overly pietistic, which sometimes we can be 
because we can see the dangers or we don't simply want to receive good gifts as they have been given to us from God. I was struck yesterday when I heard a, an illustration uh, that was given by C.S. Lewis, and, and I fail you here because I can't remember all of it, but the, the sum total of it was that when people who aren't believers look at Christians, they should see the most human people. What does that mean? It means that we deeply reflect and have the attitude towards creation and realities of, of life in this world that that, that echo our Heavenly Father, that we're being remade in his image. There should be a sense that when people who aren't believers are around us, they say, hold on, those people, they really are loving and know what that looks like. They really are generous and knows what that, that looks like. They really know how to um, not be carried away by the passing fads and fashions of the world. They really know how to relate to people with real grace mercy and patience. They seem to have their hearts set on things. They seem to know how to enjoy good gifts really, really well. They're not fragile when suffering comes their way. They are people who have a deep foundation and are hugely positive about the world, but ultimately totally realistic. And I think that's what scriptures, the scriptures push us towards, seeking a way to, to be as human as we possibly can, because we have been saved by the Lord Jesus to be conformed to his, his image, to think his thoughts after him, to have a graciousness, a love and a clear vision for people around us that speaks of eternal values. And of course, all of this will happen as we meet him in his word regularly. So if we want to be as authentically human as we can, as we don't want to come across as negative, but at the same time, uh, do live for realities that people will bump into every day. That means that you, you cannot uh, sin against the, uh, a living God and, and treat his creation and his ways as if they're nothing and think it's going to be OK. As people watch us navigate that, they should see uh, something different about us because we know the Lord of life. I think that's something that challenges me because I don't think I always get it right. I think it takes a lifetime of, of trying to figure it all out. Again, thank you, Steve, and thank you all of you for your answers, giving so much time and thought into these issues. Really, really helpful. Thank you, everyone, for listening again today. Join us again next week for our final episode in this series of podcasts.